Well, welcome to this episode of On the Mic with Mike. Uh, today, we have a really great opportunity. We're here at the CIHR building, uh, and uh, Dr. Colleen Dell is going to be joining us. Uh, Colleen is a professor at University of Saskatchewan uh, and has for many years done some amazing work uh, looking at uh, everything from therapy dogs uh, through to working with populations who are at high risk. Uh, lots of interesting material there. So we're going to have that conversation just shortly. So why don't you join me for a cup of coffee and we're going to have a conversation with uh, Dr. Colleen Dell. So, Colleen, thank you for joining us today yeah. uh, on this. Um, and this On the Mic with Mike is really meant to try and talk about you know, what got us into science, the things yeah. that really excite you about it. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So yeah. You've had a really fascinating career. First off, let me compliment you on your website. Thank you. Right? It is absolutely amazing the amount of things that you've done and how you're communicating it. How did you get to do that many things? And to, you obviously love it. Yeah, I do. Absolutely, I love it. And I think probably... My whole background is community-based, right? So uh, while I was doing my undergrad degree, I volunteered at the Elizabeth Fry Society of Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And from there, I got a job there. Then I did some contract parole officer. I worked with Human Resources Development Canada, running a community program for youth. So there was lots of, um, the whole background was really, or my background, I think, is based in practice, right? So. Then I got the MA and the PhD, and after the PhD, I was like, I don't want to be an academic because it just there was that disconnect. Right. Um, and so I ended up with a joint position between an NGO, Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, and then Carleton University. So they said, you know, you can kind of do both. Okay. And that was a wonderful position because I felt like... I got to do my university work. And this is before we were talking a lot about knowledge translation mobilization. Right, I don't yes. think we were Which talking we're about that. that yeah, sure. yes. we were talking about that then. So, or even um, patient-oriented research or community-based yeah. was kind of on you know, the periphery over there. So I was able to merge those and, and it just kind of grew from there. So if you had to, so what would be the common theme then of your research? What is it that you're trying to attain? That's a really good question. <laughs> the common theme throughout, I guess, is um, social change, um, social justice, probably social justice, okay. right? Whether it's in the addictions field, mental health, um, now some of the therapy dog work, threading that in to lead to um, a healthier society. So it is about health. It's absolutely about health, but with this probably social justice slant, I okay. think, to it, yeah. So one of the things you know we're doing at the CHR is we're going through the strategic planning process, yes. now, right? And it's, um, it's been really something to see Canadians come to the table and express where they would like the CHR going. Right. And this whole issue of social inequities, inequities of yeah. outcome, social justice comes forward. Yeah. And I and I often wonder, you know, when people look at that, what yeah. do they really mean? What what do they think we understand about right. social justice or inequities of outcome? So how about yourself? How do you frame that? Oh, I think. Probably for me, I can't really separate who I am right. as Colleen versus who I am as a scientist versus okay. who I am as a family member. And I think we've tried to do some of that in academia. So I'm going to put on my academic hat, right? right. And I'm going to do that. And 
and because science is supposed to be objective, right? right. And I, obviously there's a difference between the natural sciences and the social sciences and, and all of that. But I think if we can maintain, what do I want as a member of my community as equity? What do I want and see to make a healthy community? And then to make sure that's part of what I think about when I'm doing my research. And that can be for a bench scientist too, right? The topic they're interested, Alzheimer's, whatever it is. I think if we can do a better job of merging and marrying those two, then we're all on a common ground, right? Okay. And it's probably just about breaking down that hierarchy all the time and just, right. yeah. So, how would, so I'm going I'm to go a little further yeah. with you on that one, right? Because yeah. I, I got told the other day I'm a fly guy. Right? Oh. So I'm one of these pillar one people of fundamental cellular work, right? Okay. Um, now it's a line along a disease thing yeah. um, that we spend a lot of time on. But when I start to think about, all right, how would I line my work up and start to think about you know the, the social determinants of health or the inequities that exist right. out there um, for it. Um, I struggle a little bit with that. You know, I, I can certainly think of you know uh, socioeconomic and geographic differences and right. outcomes of disease. Right. Um, and is there a biological basis for that? Right. But immediately, as soon as I say that, I go right. So there must be a biological basis that I can quantify. Right. Right. So what would your advice be to somebody like me? Yeah, I think I was around when CIHR. Um, was born. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. I was around those tables at that time when we had neuroscience, mental health, and addiction. So bringing the addictions folks, and I remember the, very first, the first meeting, it was me <laughs> representing okay. CCSA and then a number of mental health and a lot of neuroscientists, right? Mm -hmm. And I, so I think what CHR has done really admirably is bringing everyone together, but also recognizing when we're developing teams now that we're I guess, however many years in, right, that you don't have to bring that expertise of whatever is over here. But as you come to the table and we have these interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary teams, you get excited because you're going to hear how your colleague over here is going to take what you're doing, right, or parts of it and put that into the community or change in the future or whatever. So the example I ha I've learned so much about neuroscience I had no idea about, right. right? And that's from my colleagues at those tables. And I think you can even see how that has changed the addictions field. We talk about brain science. We know that there's a really important component there, right? Yeah. So I'm sure the neuroscientists at the table um, are able to say, wow, look how the field has changed over these last you know, decade or what have you, that what I'm doing is really kind of leaning over here. That's longer term, but I think about even one of our teams, we have a veterinarian on our team, um, so working with some of uh, the therapy dogs in emergency department, right, mm -hmm. um, for people in pain. So one thing that keeps, well, kept coming back from the emergency department, we're the first one in Canada to have therapy dogs in the ED. Actually embedded in yeah. the emergency? Yeah. Really? So they're visiting individuals who come in in pain okay. um, and emotional pain and affective or um, physical pain as well, okay. right? So we have, I linked up with a veterinarian at the University of Saskatchewan, Dr. Joe Rubin. And I was like, well, one thing that keeps coming back is infectious diseases saying, well, I don't know about this, right? right? right That's right. an emergency department. What's going on there? So I was like, hey, Joe, this is what we're doing. Um, maybe we can do a study with the dogs to see if they're trend or carrying M MRSA or whatever, right, right? right? And so he, he's so lovely to work with because he's so excited. He's a bench scientist and he does all the stuff around uh, infectious disease and zoonotic diseases. And really, even as a veterinarian, doesn't get to hear these stories about how the dogs are making impact 
in the emergency department right. and those those narratives that go around that. And I just love talking to him because he's just like, oh, wow. Oh, Colleen, yeah. I could listen to these stories yeah. all day. And so, so, how, so how did you land there then? Because it's fascinating, right? Yeah. So you've moved over to now to, we're going to talk a little bit about the dog therapy. that you Right. Did. How did you get there? How did I get there? Okay, true story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to leave academia. I was done, right? I was in the addictions yeah. field for very almost 20 years. And um, I worked a lot with indigenous populations. I was working with the Thunderbird Partnership Foundation uh, with support of CHR, this project called Culture is Intervention, the importance of culture in healing from addiction. It was a huge project and it was so successful and all that knowledge mobilization is still continuing through the Thunderbird Partnership Foundation. So, and I thought, wow, like that, that's going to be the highlight of my career. That, right. That's it. We've made change and continue to. That, that is so satisfying. But I was also tired, right? Mm -hmm. And you're doing the same thing for quite a while. And then I said to a friend, and I honestly can't remember who this friend okay. is. Because, okay. uh, um, but I had said to this person, um, you know, I'm going to think of leaving academia because I'm just kind of, I just feel like there's nothing was pushing me, right, okay. uh, to that, to think further, what have you. I've just been in it so long. And so they said to me, I had a sabbatical coming up, and she said, well, why don't you just think of something that you love? And maybe, mm -hmm. and then I just, before she even finished her sentence, I had said, I love my dogs. Okay. And, and then we started talking about something else. I can't even remember this whole scenario at all. Um, so I went home, and I Googled dogs in addiction. And one okay. study came up where these therapy dogs were in um, addiction treatment facility and they saw that the therapeutic alliance between the therapist and uh, the client was enhanced, right. right? And so I was like, oh, what's a therapy dog? So I figured that out, Googled all this, lots of confusing terminology in the right. field. But I was like, oh, well, maybe for my sabbatical, my dogs can, like I can work with one of my dogs as a therapy dog. So I learned all about it. I did some training, did some testing. And in the end, all three of my dogs <laughs> became therapy dogs. Okay. And I just immersed myself in the field. And I just did thousands of hours of practice. So that's fascinating because when you think about a sabbatical, right? Yeah. Um, in an academic world, yeah. that's a period of time that you have to go away yeah. and pick up another set of skills. But almost always, that's, I'm going to go to somebody's lab, or I'm going to go yeah. to this experience, yeah. and, I come out, and I'm going to bring it backwards. Yeah. But that's not, if I'm understanding, you no. didn't do that at all. No. The you first, developed it yourself. And the first thing I did is I went to Ohio, and I went to, it's called Extreme Canine, and spent three weeks there with one of my dogs learning dog psychology. Okay. And working with dogs who had behavioral problems. And I always remember the first question they asked us in class was, um, from the dog's perspective, if you, if you understood who I really am, would you still love me? And I was like, what are we talking about here? Right. This is my dog. I know. I had no clue. I had zero clue who that dog was. I had zero clue of their abilities. I knew they were yeah. sentient beings, but I had absolutely no understanding of okay. what I thought I did. So now I was able to, from that very first time, or that those three weeks, I was able to always make sure that animal welfare is at the center of everything I'm doing because animals are not a tool for humans to for our health, right? right. We so I have a chair in one health, like in animals, humans, and the environment. Right. Yep. So by putting the animals' welfare at the center of everything we're doing, every grant we have, every question we have, we're always asking different questions. 
we're being forced to ask a different question or a question and just a bit of a different kind of slant on it, right? So it's interesting that you go there because we were going to end up, right? Or, well, not completely end yeah, up, yeah. but you know, this whole concept of One Health, yes. right? Um, and there's a lot of debate around One Health, Global Health, about, <laughs> right? And, and how One Welfare, yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. Um, so when you're thinking about One Health, and I know you've written on this and a yeah. lot of work, so what does that mean to you? What does it look like? Well, it's interesting because when I talk about One Health, I think what I'm really talking about is an Indigenous understanding of health for the animals, the humans, and the okay. environment. So going back to the culture as intervention work in our definition of wellness right. that came out of there, led by the leaders across the country, it includes the winged beings, right? It includes the animals. It, it, it's a different understanding. It includes community. It includes the environment, right? Okay. And so when we talk about One Health now, which used to be called One Medicine, um, it's like, I don't think we can just talk. I always start with saying, this is my understanding. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm grounded in. And, you know, has Western society just taken a concept that already existed once again and said, we're going to call it One right, Health now. Right. Yeah. So even I was having a conversation with someone in another area of their university popped up and they were doing... Um, just another term, right? And I thought, aren't we kind of doing the same thing? So let's not make these divides in these, right? But let's work together regardless of the terminology. Because whether you're in addictions, you're in the animals field, we're always using, we're coming up, we're thinking we're making this brand new thing, right? right? And there's probably seeds of understanding in other places and we need to bring those together. Okay, fair yeah. enough. So how did you get into all of this? this oh. is, did you just wake up one day and kind of go, this is, I see my life unfolding? I I think it just goes back to how do you make a difference in the community, right? And my community, where I came from in the north end of Winnipeg, was not an affluent community in any way. Um, and so that's just part of who I am. So it's like there's so many inequities in that community. Um, so many kids were hungry going to school. Like that was, I didn't know, I didn't know anything else right. until... I ventured out of the North End for my uh, MA at the University of Manitoba. Okay. You know, I, I didn't know there was anything else, but I also knew how privileged I was to have such a supportive family um, and the support of my teachers in particular. All of us did. Uh, so you know, were there student. mentors in your life that helped mentors. guide this way or was it collective mentorship? That, it, absolutely collective. Right. Absolutely. And it was, you know, when I think back, like who made a huge change is my grade nine teacher, Mr. Allen, he was our basketball coach and he was our English coach or our English teacher. And he just believed in us no matter what. Right. And, you know, I remember doing things like playing basketball and then some teams wouldn't play against us because they were from the North End or I played ringette for many years. The same thing would happen and you have all those stereotypes and it, was, it just kind of becomes part and you're like, there's something wrong here, right? right? This, this is not right. And you have individuals who don't do that and right. go that extra mile, I guess, or that right. extra level to support you to say, no, don't worry about that. Right. We're all human. Let's let's do what we do and move forward and having that right. support. So that's sort of, I'll use the word social consciousness because yeah. it, it, I think it's the most common way to express yeah. that. Yeah. But is that something you had like going back to as an early teenager? or Absolutely. Was that, in, like, was your family embedded that way or? I think my... No, my dad worked in a factory yeah. and once I started in school, my mom was working as a teaching assistant in okay. a school, um, but she 
more, <laughs> they were probably so different. He had lots of old world views and she was always, everybody is everybody and, mm -hmm. and it, we're all human. That, and she still talks that way. Right. And it's just, it just became who I am, right? right? Now, one of the things we, you know, we kind of chat about in these sessions is, yeah. you know, this concept of getting a work-life balance. Mm. You're probably the closest <laughs> to anybody I've chatted with where it seems the two are confluent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. How do you make that balance work for you? Like, what do you do when you're not doing this? Or is this you all the time? It has become really apparent now working with the dog. So I've been doing that for five years. Okay. Six almost. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, that is such a hard question. They are, they are so tied together. And I'm just going to give you one example of more of the challenge because okay. that's probably where my head is at now, right? Of how do you make some of that? And you don't necessarily have to make that distinction. Um, maybe that's what I'm grappling with. Okay. But so, uh, in one of our projects that we just released, we got uh, substance use and addiction program funding from for Health Canada. We, and actually our original funding started with uh, Canadian Institutes of Health Research and uh, CRISM, Canadian yes, Research yep. Initiative in Substance Misuse. Yep. So we had an initial grant through them and the Prairie Node. And we looked at the role of service dogs and PTSD for veterans okay. with, pro with substance use disorders. Okay. And in particular opioids, right? right. Okay. So at the very beginning, because I was just working with therapy dogs, either the dogs that go out and visit people, and we're doing lots of studies around that. And then um, someone approached me from the Audiamis service dog organization and said, hey, do you want to work on service dogs with us? Because we want to show that their benefits, we have these incredible stories, right? right? And we need the evidence. And I was like, well, I don't really know service dogs. I know therapy dogs, but okay, I'll come out and see what it's about. And so I came to Ottawa with their group and met some of the veterans for two days and their dogs and i was just blown away again by what these dogs were able to do for the veterans okay. so you're gonna have to help me on that one because yeah. i wouldn't have known there was a difference oh, okay yeah yeah so there are i just say there's four four categories okay there is your companion animal that's at home okay that you if people have a companion animal, have a bond. Is that the one right? that used to chase me when I was yep. a, uh, delivering the newspaper? Yeah, that one. Okay, that one. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's the one. That's the companion <laughs> animal. And then we have therapy dogs. Yep. These are the three, the, the three that I have. Um, they are basically, they just go out into the community. They're really friendly family pets that mm -hmm. love people. So if they were people, they would be extroverts, right? Okay. So, and they get tested so that they won't bite and they're really happy when they're out. Then we have emotional support animals. This is a new category, and usually they're just allowed into housing. These are people who have a bond with the animal for mental health reasons usually, okay. but they have no, these dogs have no training, but it's a real support for that individual. Okay. And then there's service dogs. And service dogs, okay. there's two sides. There's the bond that they have with their individual, and there's also the technical skills. So you'd be most familiar with a guide dog. Right, right, Lots right. of technical skills. So for, we have um, dogs that can detect seizures, you know, all types of things. Okay. So now service dogs for veterans with PTSD, they have the technical things, like they would, able, they would be able to wake them up out of a nightmare, okay. maybe, okay. right? But there's also that bond, and that's a real motivating component for the veteran to get out of the house and to right. kind of push their life forward. Okay. Yeah. So let me ask you a question, because this will be my final question yeah. for you coming forward, right? Perfect world. Yes. Right? Where would you see all of this research landing? 
if it was a perfect world, where would I see this landing? What do you mean, landing? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. if you're looking 10, 15 years down the road, yeah. right, and thinking about everything that you're doing now, right, because you're one of the few people I've talked to that has tied together so many mm -hmm. critical pieces of what's happening in society from whether it's PTSD, whether it's the opioid right. addiction crisis, or right. so on, all of those pieces in there for it. And it's probably the most complex issue. Oh, it is complex. That, yeah, yeah, from a society point of view, because um, it touches everybody. Yeah. Right? So you're really at the edge of that. Yeah. So if all went well, mm -hmm. um, 15, 20 years from now, you're sitting back and relaxing going, wow, this worked. What would that look like? I think compassion. Okay. Right? I think that people had more compassion. And I think we're able to do that through the addictions work because that's so important to people's recovery mm. and their well-being. But I think it's through the dogs and talking about animals, talking about One Health, that we're able to talk about compassion without it being human to human. Right? right. Okay. When we talk about it, we talk about love. Yep. I'm measuring love. Good luck, right? right. As an academic, I'm talking right. about love and people are like, whatever. But if I could talk about it through the dog, there's a difference, right? right? And okay. when that individual says, wow, I don't feel judged with the dog and I get to see these miraculous things and they really are right. in changes in lives because of that bond in that relationship, I hope that we collectively can learn from that and put that into our own lives and how we treat each other. Great. Colleen, this has been an amazing conversation. <laughs> we could go on for another hour yeah. or two. I really appreciate your taking time for, sure. uh, for us to do this, and I wish you nothing but great success with this. Thank I'm you. I'm going to be keeping an eye. It's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Great. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. That's it for another episode of On the Mic with Mike. We'll see you soon for another one. Take care.